Let's pray. Father, as we come this morning, uh, some of us have much to rejoice over, Lord. There is new life in our church family, new babies that have been born. There are uh, new babies to be born, Lord. There are... um, There's new spiritual life, those who have trusted in Christ in recent weeks. And so we have so much that we thank you for today. We know that all life is in your hands. And so we thank you for your kindness to us. But others in our church come this morning with heavy hearts. We hurt for those that are battling cancer. We, We hurt, Lord, for Lori and for her family. And we lift them up to you this morning. There are others who come here this morning with their own secret Secret weights on their heart, maybe guilt over sin, maybe shame over the past, maybe worries over the present or over the future, uncertainty about where things go. And so today as we come to worship God, we bring you our brothers and sisters who do carry those secret burdens. We pray, Lord, this morning, along with the psalmist, that you would, um, that you would rescue us from our enemies enemies on the outside, enemies on the inside, difficulties in life and worries that weigh us down. God, we we lift each other up and ask that you would show your strength for us. We pray that you would be strong for Lori and for her family, that you would be a refuge for them and an ever-present help moment by moment and day by day in these weeks. God, we pray for those like Dave and Missy who are battling cancer also and unsure what the future holds. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to hope in you. I pray that you would be their strength moment by moment. God, I pray for those in our church who carry those secret burdens that we do not know about. God, I pray that you would be their strength in this season. Strength in grief, strength in anxiety, strength in uncertainty, their strength in shame and guilt. God, I pray that you would... But we pray that you would do those things, not just so that we would be comfortable, but we pray that you would do those things so that the world may know that you are good and that you are kind and that you are a God who redeems and who rescues. God, we pray that your presence and work in our church and in our in our lives would be a testimony to a watching world that you are a God who loves and who redeems and who is strong for those who are weak. God, we pray for our sister churches in the area in our county and in the towns around us. God, we pray that you would be with them as you are with us today. We pray that your word would be preached powerfully and clearly. We pray that you would be worshipped in spirit and in truth. And we pray, Lord, that there would be a great harvest on the prairie again of people who hear that there is hope for them in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they would experience a new life and that your glory would shine across our land. God, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to imagine that an unbelieving friend asks you, how do Christians live in the world? Maybe you're at work and somebody says, like, how do you decide what you can be a part of and can't be a part of? Like, who sets the rules for you? Maybe you're like me, I've had a coworker say something like that. Like, like, I know there's certain things you're supposed to do and not do, but like, how do you determine the difference? What sets the rules for you? That's even beyond imagining a coworker asking. That's a question that Christians have to ask. Is, God, I know that you've called me to be a citizen of a kingdom to come. I know that you've called me to a promised city 
I know that heaven is the future, but right now I live in West Central Illinois in 2023. How do we decide what, you know, on, on the big level, how do we decide what's acceptable? But like, it, that involves things like schools and raising kids. It involves things like jobs and hobbies, books and movies and music. And de- de- it determines things like voting. It determines all of those kinds of things. So it's not just a, a, a theoretical question. It's a question that we ask. Some Christians at different times have said, you know what, because we belong to Jesus, we're going to have nothing to do with the world that's around us. We're going to try and be as separate from the world as we can be. Other groups at times have tried to figure that out in a different way. Some groups, it seems like they didn't even think about the question and they just kind of float along. But today, as we're looking in Philippians chapter 4, Paul speaks to a specific group of Christians in the city of Philippi, I mean, we're, still, we're talking about Paul's favorite church, but we know it's a small church in a far-flung city, and he knows the temptation that they have to write the world off and just kind of retreat and try to survive until Jesus comes back. And so he specifically writes to people like you and me with that question of, what do we do while we are waiting for Jesus? How do we decide how to engage the world What's acceptable and not acceptable? Specifically because we know that temptation to say, maybe if you're like me, you say, I've got kids or grandkids, and it would be really nice if we could just retreat from all the bad stuff. And so today, Paul speaks specifically to Christians wrestling with that reality. Go ahead and turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. We're nearing the end of our series, walking through the book of Philippians And here, Paul speaks to people that need wisdom in trying to navigate. What does it mean to live in the world, but not of the world? This is where Paul writes and speaks to Christians who need the courage to follow Jesus in the places that they live. Today, we're going to be reading verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. God, as we open your word, help us to know what you call us to live like. Help us to embrace and to live courageously in the world that you've put us in. In Jesus' name, amen. This, this par- here in this paragraph, Paul calls to you and I and says to Christians trying to figure out how do we live as a Christian at this time in this real world, he says he calls us to live confidently in the world that God's put us. I want to show you three actions to living confidently in God's world from this passage. Three actions that Paul calls you and I to so that we can live confidently in God's world. First, think God's thoughts wherever you find them. Think God's thoughts wherever you find them. Notice in verse, this is verse 8. Notice what he says. He doesn't use really specific words that are specific to Christianity. Notice what he says. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, 
whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy. Paul is specifically uses words that the non-Christian world around us could use. These were words that non-Christians around Philippi could use. And Paul says, he is, he's calling them to say, you're going to be tempted to write off anybody and everything around you. But, he said, but I, what he is calling them to in, in light of the rest of the book of Philippians is that because the world belongs to the Lord, if you find something true, it belongs to the Lord. If you find something in the world that's noble, it belongs to the Lord. If you find something that's lovely or admirable or excellent or praiseworthy, that belongs to the Lord. And so you don't have to spend your life running from the world around you, but instead beginning to shape your mind by learning to think this world belongs to the Lord. And so that we, so then this becomes a, an action step for you and I to begin to shape our minds around the reality that this world, in the job that I actually do, belongs to the Lord. And so, if, so he's calling us to, to actively to shape our minds around that. So if you're a child at school, the call of God is to say, if this is true and noble, if this is excellent or admirable, this belongs to the Lord. Let me see the Lord's fingerprints on this and lean into it. If you're a school teacher and you, there, are some, there are things in the curriculum that you say, this is true, this is beautiful, this is noble, this is wonderful. This is a call to say, this belongs to the Lord. And so I can think hard about it. I can shape my mind around it. Whatever your job is, if it's crunching numbers, if it's planting and harvesting, if your job is raising children, if your job is as administrator, whatever your job is, if there are true and wonderful and beautiful things there, Paul says that belongs to the Lord. You don't have to separate the, your spiritual life from your work life, but begin to say, if this is true, this is the Lord's. If this is noble, this is the Lord's. If this is praiseworthy. And so a spreadsheet that works perfectly belongs to the Lord and reflects the orderly mind of God. And Paul is calling us to shape our minds because that then shapes our actions. There is a, this temptation, I mentioned it earlier, for Christians to reject and withdraw. Because we're afraid of being infected. And there is a legitimate call in Scripture to flee temptation, to flee sin, to separate from sin. But here Paul is speaking to Christians, uses common terms and says, the Lord, the world belongs to the Lord. And so I think Paul is calling you and I to embrace the Lordship of Christ in every area. If you work in a factory, the factory belongs to the Lord. And if there is something excellent or praiseworthy there, it belongs to the Lord. If there is something in the grocery store that you work in that works perfectly, it belongs to the Lord. And so this is a call for us to, instead of withdraw, be confident that everywhere we look, yes, we're going to see some of the brokenness of creation, but we're also going to see the Lordship of Christ in those places. So if you're a builder, a, plumb wall, a wall that's sitting plumb, a foundation that holds is from the Lord's world. 
I'm reminded of the quote from Abraham Kuyper. I'm, I'm sure I've used it before. Abraham Kuyper said that there is not one square inch in all of creation over which Jesus Christ, who is Lord over all, does not cry out, mine. There's no farm with a single square inch over which Jesus Christ, who is Lord over all, doesn't say that belongs to me. There is not one, there is not one classroom in the world over which Jesus Christ, who is Lord over all, doesn't cry out, this one's mine. There's not one person's life. There's not a nursing home. There's not a hospital room. There is no place in all of creation that does not belong to Jesus Christ. And so then as Christians, we can begin to say, God, the good and the beautiful and the true things in here belong to you. And so then that place becomes a place where we can think God's thoughts after him and then That begins to be the thing that shapes our work. So if we wonder, what does it mean to live as a builder? What does it mean to live as a manager? What does it mean to live as a salesperson? What does it mean to work in an office as a Christian? It means to say, this place belongs to the Lord, and begin to shape our minds around that, to read and to watch and to listen and to think in those terms. The Lord, Jesus Christ is Lord even here. But I think that leaves us with the question, is that enough? We just, okay, that's nice. We think the Lord's, God's thoughts wherever we find them. No, I think that leads to Paul's second action here. The second action to living confidently in God's world is to practice what God has spoken. So we've already begun by thinking God's thoughts wherever we find them, but, but here Paul gets specific and says, but we also are called to practice what God has spoken. Look at verse 9. Verse 9, he says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. He's, he's told these Christians that are tempted to withdraw to begin to look for the Lord in every place because God is the king over everything. But now he says specifically, but if you, ha-, and he says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, I think one of the things we have to make sure is we say, who is me? What do you mean? Is it, does it mean just other people, other Christians, other leaders? I think specifically it's if we have received this from, like the Philippians had received this from Paul, these are God's words specifically to them, then he's calling them to say, if God has spoken it, put that into practice. Because if we begin to think the Lord's thoughts after him, that's not going to get us through every situation. Sometimes we're going to have to decide, what do I do with my kids? What do I do in the classroom? What do I do at work? What do I do in this relationship? Paul says, yes, we think God's thoughts wherever we find them, but we also must begin to practice what God has said to us. Specifically saying, God has said some things are off limits, and so we must say that is off limits. God's law has called us to holiness, and so we have to not just say, well, God is Lord here too, but no, God is Lord And so he's called me to holiness in this area. I'm not going to follow my temptations. I'm not going to follow the culture. But we must put into practice the specific guidance that God has given us. If if Christ is Lord over all and gives us specific guidelines, then we have reason to be confident where we can search Scripture and know if God has spoken, then this is the way that we should go. 
We see the Lord's lordship in every area, but we also know this is what God has said. And so we are called to do it. So then we can begin to live confident and say, God didn't leave me to guess what to do. God hasn't left the Philippian church to guess, and he hasn't left Manchester to guess what he wants us to do. Paul specifically says, whatever you have heard and received, whatever you have learned from me or seen in me, put it into practice. If it is in God's word, we should be emphasizing over and over, knowing what God has said and beginning to do what God has said. So we can live confidently. This is what God said. We're going to do that. I'm reminded of 2 Peter 1 verse 3. Where Peter, speaking of a similar issue, says his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Peter points to God revealing everything that we need to walk with God. So if we're asking the question, how do we live in a world as a Christian? How do we raise children in a world as Christians? How do we work as Christians? How is God calling us to live in West Central Illinois in 2023, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness in his word. That's why we emphasize so much preaching through scripture. It's why we emphasize reading scripture, why our Sunday school classes teach scripture, because what we need is specifically to begin to put into practice what God has spoken to us and said, this is the way, walk in it. And so we search out Scripture. That's why we encourage in our homes reading Scripture with our kids so that we can know this is what God has called us to do. When the world seems upside down, when we kind of wonder, how do I respond to this? When my relationships are struggling and I don't know what to do, specifically we are called to go to God's Word and say, this is what God has told me to do. So then, to this church in Philippians, And to you and I, we can be confident because God has spoken about what he wants us to do. We're not left to guess and think, oh, I wonder what God would think here. God has called us and told us which way is good. And he calls us to walk in that. But then that kind of leads us, okay, how do we do that? How do we do that? I want you to notice the third action to living confidently in God's word. God's world, I'm sorry. Three, this third action to living confidently in God's world. Look at the end of verse 9, which calls us to walk with God. End of verse 9. And the God of peace will be with you. That first word there, and, is doing a lot of work. Because if we're not careful, we can start to go, okay, so if I think about whatever is true, noble, and pure, and then if I put things into practice, then God says that he will walk with me. But these, these three these three um, commands here, actually, they go together, not as a, be, a result. Let me slow down. This isn't the result. If you put into practice what God has spoken, then he will be with you. This is a, a separate and equal statement. How are you going to put into practice? The fact that God has already promised to walk with his people. He doesn't say, well, if you think about what's true and noble, and if you do everything right, then God promises he'll be near. Instead, he says, I promise that I'm going to be near while you are thinking my thoughts after me, while you are pursuing what is true and noble, and while you are putting into practice what my word says. So it's not a, here's the result, it's here's the promise that you can stick your feet on. 
That as you're trying to figure out what does it mean to live in the world that God has created? What does it mean to raise kids or grandkids? What does it mean to take care of an aging parent? What does it mean to restore relationships that are broken? What does it mean to be a teacher or an administrator when you're being asked to do things that are unrighteous? You stick your feet on the reality that the God of peace has promised to be with me in that situation. As we begin to think God's thoughts after him, and as we begin to practice what God has revealed, we are already walking with the God of peace who has promised to know that he's going to be with us. You see, our thinking and practice are not the root. They're the fruit of what God is doing. We are built on the foundation of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and acceptance of us. He promises to walk with us. That is the root, and then the thinking and the practice comes from that. You see, it's so easy to to read and think, well, if I do all of these things, if I just think right, if I just obey enough, if I just do enough, then God promises he'll come and be with me. And this says, no, the root is that Jesus himself gave himself and promises to walk with us. And that is the root that produces a different kind of thinking and a different kind of living in the world. We have to get this order right. I, like I said, this word and is doing a lot of work because I was reading this this week and going, is this the result of obeying enough? And Paul says, no. The God of peace will be with you as you try to figure out what God is up to in the world and begin to put into practice You're not doing it alone. You are doing it in the life, death, and resurrection and acceptance of Jesus. I'm reminded of my my blueberry bushes because the thing that I care about is getting blueberries and keeping the birds from eating my blueberries. That's what I care about. Like, I don't, I just want whatever it takes to make sure that the blueberry bushes get bigger each year, produce more, and I keep the birds off of them. But now that we've had them for five or so years, Four or five years, maybe. Now, I've come to realize that the thing that I have to focus on is actually the roots of the blueberries. That's where the the attention needs to be spent. I can't do anything about the fruit that comes up on the the, the bush, but I can do something about making sure that the soil is right and that the fertilizer is right, and that they're watered enough, and that they, they get, they get in the, they're in the right spot so they get the right amount of sun, because the roots are the only thing I can do something about. And when the roots are right, then the fruit comes. When the roots are right, when they're fed, and when there's enough soil, when the water is right, when they're put in the right place, you may say, what do you mean put in the right place? They're actually in containers. I have to move them around to, out, to outrun the rabbits. And so they're actually in containers. So <laughs> uh, I move them around depending on the season to make sure that the rabbits don't get them. But the one thing I can do something about is if I pay attention to the roots, then good roots produce good blueberries. It doesn't matter what else happens. And here, Paul is saying, put your roots down in the reality that the God of peace will be with you. So then wherever you go, the God of peace can remind you this place belongs to me. What's true here belongs to me. What's noble here belongs to me. What's excellent here belongs to me. And then we begin to live out. This is what God has spoken. The God of peace is with me right now. And so I can, I can obey, not so that he will one day be with me, but because he's with me right now. Because he gives me the strength right now. Because he gives me his Holy Spirit right now. And that is what produces a life that is confident. 
living in God's world. So we begin to, from this passage, begin to pray, God, you promised to be with me here in this hospital room or this hospital bed. God, you promised to be here with me in the middle of whatever this challenge is. You didn't make it contingent on me getting it right. But now that you're here with me, help me do what you've called me to do. Help me to think what you think and help me to do what you've said. And God, may Satan not trick me into thinking that you have promised you'll only come and that you've left me alone until I get it right. Instead, Lord, let, this, let the roots of you walking with me, the God of peace walking with me, be what produces the fruit that you and I want in my life. Maybe you're, you're here and you say, what do you mean? How can we know for sure that the God of peace will be with us? Maybe you're here and you say, how can I know based on whatever I've done that God would come and be with me? The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so maybe you're here right now and you feel the weight of that. And you say, yes, I know what it's like to be separated from God because of what I've thought and what I've done, what I've said and what I've not done. But where is the hope that could give somebody like me the, the confidence that God, the God of peace walks with me? The Bible says that even though all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, the sin, the, for the wages of sin is death. Even though those are the wages of sin, the story of the Bible is that Jesus Christ came and lived the life that we should live, died the death that we should die, and was raised to life as God's promise that everybody who repents of sin, turning away from sin and trusting in Jesus only to save them and following him as Lord, can know the promise that God will be with them, that their sins are forgiven, and that their future is secure. So that today, this and the God of peace will be with you can become a promise for you if for the very first time you repent of sin, trust in Jesus, and commit to following him in a way you've never done before, in the power of the Holy Spirit, who promises to walk with you. If that's you, grab me at the end of the service and say, hey, I tr have trusted or I want to trust in Jesus to save me from my sins. Don't try to live confidently in God's world without doing it confidently in God's way, which is Jesus. But if you have done that, imagine what changes in your life when we look at the world knowing that the God of peace has promised to walk with us. Imagine whatever challenges this week or this year hold. Imagine what changes in those if you felt deep in your heart the God of peace is with me right now. Maybe... Maybe it's a battle in your home with a spouse, with adult children, with ch grandchildren, with a brother or a sister. Imagine what it's like to go into that situation, but you know that because you are in Christ, the God of peace has promised to be with you in the middle of that situation. Imagine what changes in that when you begin to say, okay, the God of peace has promised to be with me. I want you to imagine what changes when you go into a, uh, your job and you can confidently say, this is my Father's world. This workplace, whatever's true and noble and excellent here, it belongs to Jesus. And I get to walk with Him in the middle of that. Imagine what happens in your life when you... Imagine what happens in your life when you begin to say, God, there are a lot of things I don't know, but I do know what Your Word has called me to here. 
I do know what holiness looks like here. And I, in the power of the Holy Spirit, am going to begin to live that out. Imagine what changes in our church. When in 2023, when we don't know what the future holds, we are confident because we know the world belongs to the Lord. His word has been clear for us. And we, we are confident that he, his Holy Spirit is walking with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you address all of the concerns that you know we need. We feel the, the weight of not knowing how to live in the world, in your world. But your word tells us this is how. And you say, hey, I'll go with you. God, I pray that you will help us to live in that reality. In Jesus' name, amen.